from Christmas. I mean, I think Pastor John did a great job last week of uh, talking to us about Christmas and just challenging us with that Christmas story. Um, but alas, we have to st- take a step back from Christmas for one week. We're in a series called The Perfect Series, and I think he did a perfect job of talking about Christmas. And I'm going to talk a little bit about Christmas uh, again next su- or in two Sundays. Actually, next week we have a special guest that's coming uh, that I've tried to get here for a few a few months, actually. Uh, his name is Jeremy Hamilton, and he works with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. He's actually the regional, uh, I, sh- I should probably look this up, but he's, he's over uh, InterVarsity over in this region. It's a um, ministry for college students, specifically geared to students and for students. And so I've been trying to get him to come and share in service and talk about InterVarsity and what it is, uh, especially for those of you that are parents or grandparents uh, that have kids that are in some of these institutions that may not know about InterVarsity. I wanted to get that information in front of you uh, just so that's a resource that you can pass on to your kids or grandkids and make sure that when they go off to college that they're getting plugged into a Christian group, that they're getting plugged into a church. Uh, I think that's very vital. Uh, and important. And so finally worked out, and he's going to come next week. And then in a couple weeks, I'm going to talk a little bit about two of the Christmas characters. Two of the Christmas characters. They're actually two of my favorites. And so uh, you're going to have to come on December 18th if you want to hear that one. Um, but this series, based on the, the verse from Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect, is what the series is all about. And as we've talked, what we're talking about is not that uh, perfect is not a destination. I don't know if you're familiar with the song, The Father's House. Uh, it's a little bit newer of a song, but uh, the journey is where you are. It's not about the destination. God is with us. And in Philippians chapter 3, another passage we looked at, um, the Apostle Paul talks about this perfected state that he has not laid hold of yet. But he presses on. He's on this journey toward that perfected state. Okay, That's what he's talking about. But later on in verse 15, he talks about we've already been made perfect. And so it's a little bit confusing when we we try to take this English word perfect. And there's so many different meanings in the Greek. And what is it talking about? And ultimately, it's about the fact that God is on a journey with us. And so we've talked about the perfect book. We looked at the Bible. We talked about the perfect family. Uh, Joe Stalin, the author of the book Hunted and Called, was here, and he talked about the perfect storm, uh, the way God uses the difficulties in our lives to shape us and to mold us. And then last week, uh, John did a great job of talking about the perfect Christmas or the not-so-perfect Christmas. So maybe I'll have to talk about the perfect Christmas, uh, since his was the not-so-perfect Christmas. And then today, I want to talk to you about the perfect church, the perfect church, and um, To start, I want to read something. It's really long, and I went back and forth uh, several times, but I really feel like it just sets the the entire tone for everything that we want to talk about today. And it's called The Ideal Church, and it's written by a guy by the name of Kenny Burchard. Uh, I don't know who he is, but I I appreciate his writing and what he wrote here. And so uh, I want to share it with you. But I, I took some liberty, and rather than calling it The Ideal Church, I've called it The Perfect Church. So just so you know, full credit to him, the ideal church, the perfect church. So here's here's what it says. I am looking for a perfect church where the pastor is friendly, understanding, humorous, always available, relevant, likable, caring, hospitable. His sermons are interesting, easy to understand, completely biblical, enjoyable to listen to, never too long or too short, always convicting when talking about the sins of others. 
but always accepting of me and my weaknesses. You can drop by his office anytime for a visit, short or long. He'll always have time for everyone and always get everything done, no matter how many people need his personal attention, no matter what the need is, no matter how large the church becomes, no matter what is happening in his own family. He's just that good. If he were not, I wouldn't go. I'm looking for a perfect church. I'm looking for a perfect church where the music is modern, yet traditional, energetic, yet reverent, spirit-driven, yet dignified, completely geared toward the youth, yet appealing to the elderly, doctrinally deep, yet not lyrically stuffy, inclusive of lots of instruments, yet not too showy, excellent in performance, but not perform-ish, given lots of time during the service for those who love to get lost in worship, but not given too much time in the service for those who love to feast upon the Word of God. If the music did not fit this criteria, I wouldn't go. I'm interested in finding a perfect church. I'm looking for a perfect church where the facilities are accessible, centrally located, and highly visible. Lots of parking, always clean, large woman's restroom, large, spacious, well-equipped classrooms, a large kitchen, a fellowship hall, well-groomed landscaping, which is done by a custom landscaping company, very multi-purpose, but very obviously a place of worship. Food and drinks can be eaten everywhere, but everything is always taken care of and kept nice and neat. If it were not, I wouldn't go. I'm looking for the perfect church. I'm looking for a perfect church where the schedule is filled with lots of things going on during the week in case I have free time to attend or be involved, but where there's never pressure to be involved. It's just always there when I need it. Classes are offered for every age level, but I'm never asked to teach. They care about my busy life, but still offer an unending menu of activities. Sunday services are not too short, but not too long. They never start late, and they always get out at least five minutes early. My kids always have a teacher, and it's never me. If it were not like this, I wouldn't go. I'm looking for the perfect church. I'm looking for a perfect church where the members are always friendly, always smile, always say and do the right things, always help, serve, and volunteer for the things that the church needs, always reach out to me, even when I don't express my needs. They just know what I need at all times, and they're always there to provide it, and they should be. They're members of the perfect church. They give, they serve, they never have a bad attitude, and are always Christ-like in the way they treat me. And if they were not, I wouldn't go. I'm looking for the perfect church. I'm looking for a perfect church where the visitors are welcome. The church I'm looking for accepts everyone just as they are, but has an unwavering value about what is right and what's wrong. In addition to all this, the church I'm trying to find is well-funded, has everything it needs to minister to everyone who comes with whatever their need might be, no matter how large or small, and meets all of my expectations, whatever I need from it, but never asks its members to financially support what it does. After all, the perfect church would never just be about money, and if they did start asking me, I wouldn't go. I'm looking for the perfect church. I keep looking for the perfect church. I've been to quite a few. They always seem so perfect at first, at least most of them. But I can't seem to find the perfect church no matter how hard I look. The churches around here are far from perfect. Every pastor has eventually disappointed me, 
I like, some of the, I like the music in some of them, but my kids don't, or vice versa. Some of them have very nice facilities, but they still have mortgages. In the perfect church, the bills are always paid, but no request for finances is ever made. And we want a nice church to go to that doesn't use our money to pay for the chair we sit in, the roof we sit under, the air that cools or heats us, the water that flushes behind us, the sink we washed our hands in. We don't want to pay for the carpet we walked on into the sanctuary we worshipped in or to give our hard-earned dollars just to have a place to park our car. But we do expect plenty of parking when we are able to make it. Most of the churches don't have the kinds of activities we really want. Several of them have suggested that we start them. Excuse me? If they were the perfect churches, they'd have already thought of that. Am I right? These churches don't understand how busy people are these days. And most of the people in the churches around here are not very nice. We have yet to really find a truly friendly church. Most of them are either too dead or too crazy for our taste. They're either too small or too large or too busy or too simple or too spiritual or not spiritual enough. It's frustrating looking for the perfect church, but I'm sure I'll find one someday. I'm sure my list of ideals is right on. On those things, I will not waver. I just don't think it would please the Lord if I looked for anything other than a perfect church. What do you think? Most of us kind of laugh and most of us are like, oh, that's just crazy. And yet, what happens is when the rubber meets the road, most of us would agree there's no such thing as a perfect church because churches are people and there are not perfect people. And so there are going to be mistakes. But what happens is it's when those mistakes get in our business. That's when the rubber really meets the road. And we don't know what to do. And I have been a part of the church for 47 years. I don't remember the first few, um, but I know I was carried in. And uh, I was a part of the nursery in the church I grew up in. I was always in the church. My parents were active in the church. My mom was uh, a Sunday school teacher. She was a women's leader. She was a, a missionette leader. She was in girls' ministry. My dad was a deacon. He was in the choir. I was always involved in church. I was in, involved in church youth group. I've always been in church. And I have been someone who sits in the pew. And I've been someone that now is on a staff in a church. And there are so many different preferences and ideas of what church is. And I think some of them are based more on our preference and culture than they are on the Word of God. I think some of them are, we think there are things that are, I hate to use the word biblical, but we think that they're based on the Bible but they're really just based on our, our culture or our preference. And so today I want to give you seven things that I want you to keep in mind when you think about church, when you think about the perfect church. And by perfect church, I don't mean a church that has reached the perfect destination, but the church that's on a journey. And all of us in this room are called to be a part of the church, the body of Christ. And because it's, it's different when you're in ministry versus when you're in a pew, um, and I, I know everyone's in ministry. I know, I know, I know, I know. It's so hard to use these words and to get across what I'm trying to communicate. But what, what I'm trying to say is there are times in our lives where we forget what it's like to be the other person. Uh, there's one of my favorite authors is a guy by the name of Sky Jitani. And he was on staff at a church for a number of years. And after he left staff, he went to work for a Christian publication in the same city. He kept attending the church he had been on staff with. 
And then he talks often in his podcast about what it was like to be someone sitting in a pew, working a job 40 hours a week with a wife and kids, and then hearing some of the things that were being said from the platform and wrestling through that. And remember, these were his friends. These were people he did ministry with. But it was, he's like, there was a whole new perspective I got on that side that I never had before. So he preached a sermon about six months after he had stopped being in that church ministry and went to work at that Christian publication. And he apologized to the congregation for some of the things, some of the expectations he had had, some of the things he had said. Um, and I just wish that you and I could trade places with each other. You know the old movie Freaky Friday where like the mom and daughter trade places and they get an idea of what it's like to be someone else? Uh, but we can't do that. And so rather than tell you what my expectation of church is, I really want to try to give you just some biblical things to wrestle with on your own. So if you've got a piece of paper, you can grab your phone and you can use it not to scroll Facebook, but to take some notes. I'm going to give you seven things. I'm going to give them to you briefly. I'm not going to try to make a lot of comments on most of them. Um, you'll, you'll, you'll learn which is my most favorite one because I will spend a little bit more time on that one. But I really want to talk about what the Scripture says about the church. And so here's some principles to consider. The first one, the church, I'm going to refer to the church as its. Again, the church is people. The church is not a building. It's not a program. It's not a um, group of, it's a group of people. That's the church. And so don't be... Um, afraid if I use the word it's to describe the church. I do mean a group of people. But the church is communal. In the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 27, it says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. What we learn from this passage is that God says it's not good for man to be alone because the image of God is not alone. I know that we serve one God, but he exists in three separate persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. He is a community all in himself. So he creates a community of humans. He could have created man to fully exist all alone, be totally independent from all other human beings. Could have, but he didn't. He created male and female in his image. He is a God of partnership. He wants us to partner together, not just with him, but with his other kids on the earth. In Ephesians chapter 5, because for those of you that are like, well, I don't have a spouse. Well, good news for you. It's not just about spouses. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says, for this reason, quoting the book of Genesis, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. So the same community that existed in God that he used to create male and female is also represented in the church. So whatever your view of church is, it has to be communal. All through the scripture, we're told, bless one another, love one another, care for one another, one another, one another, one another, one another. You cannot serve God by yourself. Praise the Lord. You're like, wait, Pastor Tom, when I stand before the judgment seat, I will give... Yes, you will be by yourself giving account for what you've done in your life, good or bad, but you will also give account for how you interacted with the body of Christ. 
Because there's a call for us to be a part of the body. How we interact. Now, there is a universal church. What I mean by universal church is that every person who believes in Jesus is a part of the universal church. They live all around the world. And we are all the body of Christ. But there are also local churches. There are cities where there are churches. In the Bible, every city had a church or they had at least a structure of house churches under one leadership structure. Okay? There was one church. Now today, people look at all the different churches and they're like, well, I'm not going to go to any church because God, He doesn't like all these denominations. and he does. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But what I'm here to tell you is God wants every person, I believe, to be a part of a local church, not just the church universal. In, in our membership class, our partnership class, I use an article that was written by a Mennonite pastor in Canada. And this is part of that article. This is what he says. Perhaps the actual problem is that we don't want to commit to a bunch of broken people who will inevitably hurt us and let us down. So we settle for tarnished intimacy and feigned vulnerability. What we're really saying is, we'll take Jesus' willingness to love us and meet us in our mess, but we don't want to extend that in a committed and consistent way to others. Hence, it's more convenient to belong to the universal body as a concept. I can pray for a faceless and nameless Christian around the globe, which of course is a good thing. But it doesn't inconvenience me, like when a single mom in my community calls me because her babysitter bailed at the last minute and she needs my help. If you do not do life with people that are different than you, with people that irritate you, with, with people that rub you the wrong way, with people that believe different than you, the local church, because if, if all of us in this church believe exactly the same thing, think the same thing, all see it the same way, then this church will be stymied. I believe there's a uniqueness present in the body of Christ that is important. But I think that as we stay in relationship with a local body of believers, you and I grow in ways we cannot grow apart from that. I think it's communal. The second thing, I think it's participatory. I think it's participatory. Ephesians 4.16 From him, that him is Jesus, by the way, from Jesus... The whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, those ligaments are people, they're humans, okay, in the context of what he's talking about, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. There are no spectator parts. Every person has something to bring to the table in the body of Christ. We need it. As Restoration Church, if you do not speak up when you see something different, when you, when you have a different idea, if you don't speak up, does that mean that everyone who speaks up, we do everyone's idea? Well, no, that's not possible. But it's when all of us start to voice what we see, what we feel, what we express, how God spoke to us. When we let the Holy Spirit minister through different voices. When we start hearing it, then the body of Christ grows in greater ways. Everyone has something to offer. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. 
Am I using the gifts God has given me to serve others in the body of Christ? Because the perfect church relies on the faithfulness of all of its parts. Some of those parts may do one thing. Some of those parts may do five or six things. But every part has to function the way God created it to function. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 through 8, look at what it says. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. Whoa, did we just, what, where, where did we get that from? Disciplines, what, is, what's, what are we talking about? No one likes to talk about discipline. And he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. You are not true sons and daughters of God. Here's what I think. Every time we church hop, when I say church hop, this is what I mean. I've been in the church 47 years. I've seen it all. Um, I've seen people that get upset with someone, whether it's another lay person in the church or whether it's one of the people on staff, and they get upset and they leave that church and they go to another church. And the majority of the time, the overwhelming majority of the time, do you know what I find about those people that have left one church and went to another church? They do it again. And 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 they keep, oh, they're not looking for the perfect church. But they, now, is there ever a time to leave a church? Yes. There is. And a lot of times we point to the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Barnabas when they were, they had such a sharp disagreement that they went separate ways and Barnabas took John Mark and Paul took um, Silas and they went on their own ways. The problem is we read into that a church split. And maybe they both realized that they needed to just go their separate ways. Because at the end of Paul's life, the Apostle Paul, even though he didn't want to take John Mark with him because he thought John Mark was a bit flaky and he was going to run away from trouble. Okay, that's what the Apostle Paul said. But Paul was just kind of a blunt guy. Imagine Paul being from the East Coast. He's just going to tell you what he thinks about you. It doesn't mean he doesn't like you. But, you know, the people from South Dakota, they're always nice to your face, but they'll talk about you behind your back. I See, I grew up in Pennsylvania and people were just rude to your face, but at least you know where you stood. And I liked it, okay? And so sometimes I bring some of that with me into South Dakota, and it doesn't translate well. People really don't like it here. you got to be a little nicer. So don't read into Paul and Barnabas going separate ways as a church split, okay? And no matter what happened in that sharp disagreement, at the end of his life, the Apostle Paul writes about John Mark as someone who's been a great benefit to him, okay? So we read that in because we want to church hop sometimes, you grow through walking through difficulties. We have to learn how to wrestle through some of those things in the body of Christ to grow. And if we run from everything that makes us uncomfortable, we'll stymie our growth. It's participatory. The second, or the third thing, number three. I didn't number these, so I might forget what number I'm on. It's his church. It's his church. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, I, this is the only time Jesus speaks about the church in all of the words of Jesus. This is it, right here. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Always keep in mind, it's his church. If you ever make the statement, I pay my tithe here, and so I think you should stop before you finish that statement. Because if you give your tithe with a string attached because you think that gives you the right to say something, stop giving. It's his church. Now here's the kicker. I already talked about it. 
as a member of the body of Christ, you already have the, the gifting, calling, and responsibility to speak up. So you don't have to pay tithe to speak up. You just need to be a participatory part of the body. Okay, But don't get it in your head that it's your church. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's His church. And so my preference, your preference, isn't always what matters. It's what's going to be most effective in building a church in this community that's going to reach unbelievers because Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He didn't come just for the healthy. He came for the sick. So we got to be a church that does that, but a church that also functions in a way that everyone is healthy, growing, and full of love. And so that's going to require us making sure that we don't push our agenda, but that we lean into what His agenda is. By the way, do you know how you hear His agenda? You listen. You pray and you listen. If you don't quiet yourself, if you don't spend time in prayer, you'll be able to convince yourself what you're hearing is the Lord. You'll be able to twist the Scriptures in a way that just makes it uh, so that you can just appease your own conscience. I don't want to live that way. I want to make sure I quiet myself with, before the Lord, and I want to do it with other believers because I want it there to be a level of accountability. I don't want to just hear what the Holy Spirit says and be like, this is what the Holy Spirit says, thus saith the Lord. I want a group of people that say, hey, I don't know if that, I think that contradicts Scripture. I don't think the Holy Spirit would say that. Oh, do tell me more. That's probably not how I would have responded, but that's how I should have responded when someone would say that. And so keep in mind, it is his church. The word church that Jesus uses here is the word ecclesia. The word ecclesia is not a building. It's not any type of structure that we currently have in our culture. For church, And when we read the word church, that's what we imagine. We imagine Jesus saying he's going to build a building on a corner where people have worship services and they have ministries. That's not... Now, did Jesus know all this was going to happen? Yes. But the word Jesus used in its context is the word ecclesia. And the word ecclesia, it is, it's a political term. So in the Roman Empire, there would be this group of people, they, they were the ecclesia, in each community. And they would render decisions. Based on Roman law, they would, uh, they would decide together how things would need to happen in that community, what should happen. They would carry out the decisions that were made. They would be the, the people that the higher-ups in the Roman Empire would communicate with. That's the ecclesia. And Jesus comes along and says, I'm going to build the ecclesia of my kingdom. And they're going to be a group of people that they're going to make communally, they're going to make decisions, they're going, to, they're going to bring the kingdom everywhere they go. That's the term Jesus used. And so when you read church, you have to read it through that lens. And what did Jesus mean for us? Or, or we're going to miss it. Okay, number, number next. Number next. Number four? Is that what I'm on? Okay, thank you guys for remembering. You're paying better attention than I am. It's his sons and daughters. This is my favorite one. This is my soapbox. I may spend a little bit of time here, but I'll still try to get you out on time. The church is made up of the sons and daughters of God. Never, never forget that. I know that we know it, but every day we need to remind ourselves of this. And I'll show you, show you where here from Scripture. In Romans chapter 14, verse 4. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. It is God's will that every son and daughter stand. 
He disciplines us absolutely for sure. We just read that. But he does it in a way that we will stand at the end of it. As humans, we don't always get this right. When you speak about another son or daughter of God, whether they attend this church or another church, remember, remember they're his son or daughter. Even if they're acting out of character. I promise you, if you, if you really want to push my buttons, criticize my wife or my children. They're not perfect. But if you really want to, you understand it. If you're a parent in the room, you get it. Even if your kid has done the, the worst thing ever, you love them. You love them. And you are for them, always for them. And so when someone else steps in and starts putting them down, something rises up on the inside of us. Don't you say that about them? Maybe you've learned this in your marriage. Um, your spouse may talk about their family in a negative way when you're first married. And if you jump into the conversation, <laughs> they may turn on you. <laughs> and you're like, I was just agreeing with you. You don't have the right <laughs> to agree with them. Because even though I criticize them, I love them. And I know them. They're my kids. And so keep in mind, when we talk about one another in the body of Christ, we're God's kids. And he is listening. And he's not always happy. When David, uh, when the man that killed Saul came to David, he thought he was bringing David good news. I killed Saul. And do you remember what David did to him? He, he had him killed. Who are you to touch the Lord's anointed? I'm not talking about people in ministry shouldn't be spoken against or touched. Or, no, there should be accountability for every human being on the planet. Absolutely. Uh, but be careful when you speak about people, especially in our culture today. It's become very popular to criticize national speakers. Um, Beth Moore is the hot topic right now. Uh, Beth Moore, everyone considers a heretic. If you actually read Beth Moore's writings, she doesn't say nearly half of what some people think she says. And I got into a discussion this last week uh, where one person was saying, well, Beth Moore says this, and I'm, I'm reading the quote, and I'm like, I don't think that means what you think it means. <laughs> and so we see that differently. Did you know that when the Apostle Paul or the Apostle Peter would write a letter and send it to a church, he would actually send someone along to read the letter out loud to the church? And do you know why he would do that? To make sure that the message he was conveying was the message the church understood when they read the letter. What does that mean? That means there's more than one way to read it. And he wanted to make sure that they handled the word correctly. And so it's easy for us to stand afar from some of these people. And are there false teachers out there? Yeah, there, there are. But everyone who's being labeled a false teacher today is not a false teacher. And the body of Christ is stepping into some, in my opinion, some very demonic places in the way we slander and critique and judge one another, not in a spirit to help them stand, but in a spirit to try to tear down. Now, speak to topics all day long. If you want to disagree with someone's theology, do it all day long. But be careful with the, the heretic label. It's a little harsh. Um, Galatians chapter 6. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, in a sin, notice that, in a sin issue, not a preference issue, but in a sin issue, you, plural, the body of Christ, you who live by the Spirit, should restore Again, getting them to stand again, not to be like pushed down. 
Restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Correction in the body of Christ should always be for restoration. Always. And I know it's difficult sometimes to separate our emotions from that because sometimes when people personally attack us, our natural reaction is to attack back. But in the body of Christ, we've been given a spirit of self-control to not do what our natural reaction is, but to do what the Spirit of God says. And to humble ourselves in the same way Jesus did. Every time Jesus was attacked, he did not retaliate. Did not retaliate. That's what Peter says. Never. You see, in the body of Christ, especially in our culture, in the American culture of rights, and uh, you know, we, we have the right to do all these things, uh, the cross, man, Jesus triumphed by laying his life down. That's important. And that has to be a part of this discussion. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. I could have just got up here today and gave that and said, now go and do it. And don't come back till you're done. (laughs) And none of us would be back next week. Because I guarantee you, it's so hard. It's so easy in our culture to slip into this. What is unwholesome? Only what, look at what he says, but only what is helpful for building others up. Building others up. Unwholesome is what tears it down. If you and I have a conversation about person B over there, we are not building them up. If we want to build them up, we need to bring person B into the conversation and have it together. Oh, that's not going to go well. Then shush. Because that's the body of Christ. Look at what he said. He ends this by saying, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Can I tell you, this is so, so, so important. It grieves, so much of what comes out of our mouths grieves the Holy Spirit. But then we get an elevation worship song that comes on and our emotions get stirred and we're like, oh, God, he, he must not be displeased with the stuff coming out of my mouth. False! He's totally displeased with it because he said in his word he's displeased with it. And our goosebumps or gooey emotions is not a a right to be able to continue to have loose lips and put people down in the body of Christ. We have got to treat this far more seriously than we do. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul was talking about the, the, the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, and them having these meals together. And he says in verse 29 of that chapter, For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. And that is why many of you are weak and sick, and many have fallen asleep. That's one of the weirdest verses in all the Bible. And when he's talking about discerning the body of Christ, he is not talking about that bread and cup actually becoming the body of Christ. In fact, what he's talking about is the relationships that we have with one another in the body of Christ because this body was mistreating each other. And the Apostle Paul says, I don't have anything good to say at all about this topic because it's, it would be better if you didn't even meet. And in the body of Christ, we just we act we are so flippant. I know gossip is oh, I know slander. I know it's bad. No. It is far worse than you and I are giving it credit for in the body of Christ. One last scripture to show you. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. There are six things the Lord hates. There's probably a few more, but this is Solomon. Indeed, seven are an abomination to him. What what 
the, what Solomon has just said is there are six things I'm about to list. The seventh one is an abomination. Do you know what the seventh one is? He who sows discord among his brethren. It's an abomination. Do you know that word is also used in Leviticus 18.22 for homosexuality? And yet in the body of Christ we hear so much about how terrible homosexuality is and how it's destroying our culture and it's blah, 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 which I'm, I'm not going to disagree with. But just remember, so is this thing. As much damage. So think about that and keep it in perspective. There we go. That's my, my favorite. I, you just have to be gracious. You just have to be gracious. Not everyone's going to see it your way. Not everyone's going to believe the way you believe. But at the end of the day, none of us has perfect theology. One of my, I've said this quote before. One of my favorite theologians is N.T. Wright. He's from England. He says he believes his theology is about 90% right. The problem is he doesn't know where the 10% is. And that's true of all of us. We just don't know where we're wrong. And so when we start, I mean, if anybody touches the cross of Jesus Christ and that alone is our salvation and it's in his, putting confidence in him alone. If anyone tries to move that, uh, then all bets are off. Okay, Th that's another gospel. But everything else, man, don't divide the body of Christ. Okay, we don't want to be a part of that. All right, number next. The body of Christ is unique. It's unique. The individual members are unique. I mean, sometimes people bring up ideas in leadership meetings and the rest of the room is like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I've told you the story. When Pastor John, Pastor John Mullen was the one that said, hey, Pastor Tom, I think we should change our church logo to a table. And literally the first words out of my mouth were, that's the dumbest idea I have ever heard in my life. And so, and uh, he looked back at me and he's like, sometimes I wish you'd just listen to me and not respond <laughs> right away. And that was the conversation that changed our relationship because I understood that I don't have to say the first thing that comes to my mind, even, even when I think I'm right. Uh, it was just about hearing him. And guess what? He was right. And he won me over, even though I initially thought it was crazy. We need the body of Christ. And if you're going to clam up because we don't use your idea once, or you're going to clam up because maybe I said it was the craziest idea I've ever heard in my life, you are going to hinder the body of Christ. And I know that I'll be responsible for my flippant words, but you're also responsible. We need to speak up and to share thoughts with one another in the body of Christ. We need to have this level of interaction. It's important. And we need churches to be different. Man, we don't have to be like the church down the street. And I know, well, the church I grew up in, Pastor Tom, it was so meaningful to me. But we don't want to be the church you grew up in. We want to be the church that's going to reach the most people in the city of Huron. That's what we want to be. And we don't want to be like the, the churches on every other corner in the city of Huron because they're already reaching a certain segment of people. We want to reach a different segment of people. We want every church to be allowed to be unique. In the book of John, chapter 21, verse 22, Jesus is walking with Peter. He's restoring Peter into relationship with him. And Jesus says to, to Peter in, the, in this moment because he's telling Peter the life he's going to live and Peter turns and he's like, well, what about John? What are you going to do with John? And Jesus says, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Just follow me. 
In other words, we can learn and grow from one another or from other churches, but we don't have to be like them. We serve a God that has created like different. He didn't create every tree the same. He didn't create every flower the same. Look around. He didn't create every human being the same. There's not one human being on this planet that is just like any of us. Thank goodness. <laughs> We're all unique. And yet the body of Christ is meant to function that way. And churches are meant to function that way. Keep in mind the church is unique. Keep in mind the church is growing. Number six, it's growing. I remembered because we're almost there. I'm giving you hope. Ephesians chapter 4. He makes the whole body, we already read this, fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. The only way Restoration Church will ever be healthy, growing, and full of love is when each part is doing its work. And each part is giving the other parts room to grow. Room to grow. That's going to lead us into the last one. The last one is this. It's hard work. The perfect church is hard work. What do I mean by that? I mean Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. I, this is Paul, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults. We give room for growth. And I know all of us are like, yeah, we need to do that. But the moment you and I get into a disagreement or any other person in the body of Christ, that's where the rubber meets the road. Are you going to make allowance for each other's faults in that moment or are you going to walk away? I, I remember once I was trying to reconcile a relationship with someone who was a very dear friend and just couldn't wrap his mind around. He couldn't get past something I had said or done that I believe he took in a way I never intended it. And I apologized and wanted us to fight for the relationship. And uh, I kept using that word. We want to fight for the relationship. We want to fight for the relationship. And finally, he said to me, you shouldn't have to fight for relationships. And I just thought, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Yes, you do. I mean, because I, I don't know about you. Maybe you guys have a marriage where you always wake up or everything your spouse says, you're always like, oh, that's so wonderful. And you're never like irritated and you're never, like you never have to like put your emotions in check or apologize because you snapped at them in a way. Like, I don't know, maybe I'm the only one whose marriage is, is flawed. Or maybe, and I can't speak for Christy. Maybe she's perfect and I'm the only one that's flawed. But... For crying out loud, I have to fight all the time to stay in relationship with people because I think I'm always right, and so do you. I mean, we all think we're always right, and so we, we, but we fight. I mean, make allowance for each other's faults. Make every effort to keep yourselves. I mean, if it doesn't take effort, sounds like a fight to me. And so there's this idea that if, if I find the perfect church, then I'm just going to be able to make relationships so easy. It's not going to be hard. I'm not really going to have to step out of my comfort zone. I mean, it's just going to be so natural. False. It's going to take work and effort. And no one's ever going to say anything that hurts me. Or after they learn one time, <laughs> do I have to forgive them seven times, Lord? No, 70 times seven. 
I mean, this is the body of Christ. It is hard work. But here's the thing. It's so worth it. In John chapter 17, when Jesus was praying on the night before, I mean, this is the night he's going to be crucified. And the guy takes time to pray for his disciples. And he takes time to pray for you and I. And in John chapter 17, verse 20, he says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I mean, if we could do this, and don't get in your idea, in this, your head, that the, the perfect church where we're all one is where there's never disagreement. There's going to be sharp disagreements. Or, or the, 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 the church is never going to send a, a group of people out to start a different church, and, uh, like the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Barnabas, and they went their separate ways, and, and that's okay in the body of Christ. We don't have to be opposed to each other. We can actually do that in the right spirit. I mean, it's just hard. Because it's messy. Because people are messy. And we have to make allowance for each other's faults. Jesus knew this would be hard. That's why he prayed it for us. <laughs> On the night that he was being crucified. Like he took, he knew how difficult this was going to be for us. But he also knew how important it was. Because if you and I could start getting this here at Restoration Church, people are going to start taking notice of who Jesus is. They're going to take notice. I am saddened by the testimony the church has before the world for how we handle our disagreements, for the public ways that we tear one another down label people heretics and fight and go to work and gossip about what happened at our church service while other people can hear us. That's what the body of Christ has a reputation for. And can I tell you, it is so hard to change perception. But we can do it. Through the power of God. So Restoration Church, I believe, is the perfect church. I do. I believe we're the perfect church. I also believe Mount Olivet is the perfect church. I think Bethesda is the perfect church. I think Living Hope Alliance Church is the perfect church. I think Huron First United Methodist Church is the perfect church. I think the First Presbyterian Church is the perfect church. I think they're all unique and different. I love the pastors of all those churches. There's other pastors in other churches. They don't, do they all believe exactly the same way I do? No. Do I think some of them are wrong? Yeah. That's why we have our own church. But I think they're in the body of Christ. And we work together with other churches to do kingdom work in our city because we can do more together than any of us can ever do apart. In Ephesians chapter 4, my last scripture, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That idea of one doesn't mean sameness. I mean, when you look at the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they all have very distinct roles, don't they? They're all one, but they all do it differently. They all have a different purpose. They all have a different role, but they work together. In the same way, male and female, created in the image of God, very unique, very different, 
different roles, different personalities, different giftings, different perspectives. So important to be one. Carry that over into the body of Christ. We don't all have to be the same. We don't all even have to see it the same. But we fight to maintain the unity of the Spirit. I gave you seven different things. Communal, participatory, His church, His sons and daughters, unique, growing, hard work. Could be more. Thought that was a pretty good list to get us started. I'd encourage you this week, go back over that list. Go back over some of those scriptures. Listen for the Holy Spirit to really just light up one of them that maybe needs work in our lives. Let him highlight that and then let him show us how to work on that this week ahead. And so, Father, thank you for this season again. Thank you for Jesus and bringing him to, or sending him to earth. Jesus, thank you for coming to make a way for us to have access to the Father, for us to be in relationship with him, but also with your body. Father, we know how important this is. Jesus, this was the only thing you prayed for us. You didn't pray that we would all get our doctrine right. You didn't pray that we would all uh, live out the perfect situation. You didn't pray for signs and wonders and healings and miracles. You prayed that we would be one. Because you knew that if we got this right, everything else would fall right into place. And so help us. God, we recognize that we have fallen short in some of these areas. And I can't change anyone else in this room, but I can, I can do something about my life. And so Holy Spirit, show me. Show me an area that I need to focus on today, this week. Show me some things that I need to start doing, something I need to stop doing. Do that same thing for every person in this room, every person watching online. God, that we would be a part of the church the way you've called us to be a part. Help us to live it out before the world so that especially during this season, people can put their faith and trust in you because they see you as you really are. Help us to live that out. More and more, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I know I gave you a lot today to, to ponder and think about. Hopefully you wrote some of that down. If not, you're in luck. You can go back to the podcast. You can watch online. It's on Facebook or on our YouTube channel. You can go back. You can see all of it again. And you can let the Holy Spirit bring to your mind the things that maybe you need to work on individually so that we can together be a more healthy, growing, and full of love body. Amen? Man, as you leave today, uh, don't forget to stop by the table. Offering baskets are there. All of the information about our church, uh, we'd love for you to stop by there before you leave. Our prayer team is always here for a few extra moments. If maybe you didn't get prayer earlier in the service and you'd like someone to pray with you, we'd love the opportunity to do that before you leave today. When you're ready to go, uh, make sure you say hello to a few people around you. Get to know them a little bit, and then you're free to go. God bless you as you go today.